Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. We have with us Tracy Doyle, CMO of Analytics 8, and we are going to dive into a few different things. The tenure of two to three years going to 12 years at a a company, what you see and what's changed, and also a rebrand in under four months. There's a lot to dive into. So Tracy, welcome to the show. Excited to talk through it all. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. One thing I always like to kick off with is how did you first get into the world of B2B marketing? Sure. So um, I've been working in general in the career force for over 20 years, but I didn't start in B2B marketing. So I actually started just to back up, started my career at Accenture. So I didn't do marketing there, but I was focused on uh, training, development, and delivery. So I did do a lot of writing, a lot of creating presentations mm-hmm. and just learning how like the consulting business worked. I worked with some yeah. like great clients, learned a ton. And I always suggested people like a great place to start your career at a big consulting company. But actually at that point, I was like, I really want to get back into marketing. My degrees in marketing, I don't see it happening here. Like I'm kind of stuck on these projects. So I moved to a company called General Growth Properties, which is a real estate investment company. And there I was responsible for content management and communications. And so that I would say was a real, a real marketing role. But then about three years after that, I was recruited by Analytics 8. So Analytics 8, I would say, would be my first real kind of B2B marketing role. Yeah. And so when I started there, I was nervous because um, Analytics 8 was much smaller. So I'd work for these very large companies, right? And so when I started Analytics 8, I think it was like 20 people. And so they didn't have any marketing people, no marketing function. So really unique position in that I got to build the whole marketing function from the ground up. So that was a great kind of unique and cool position to be in. But that's kind of how I got got started in B2B. Love that. I'm curious, since you built the whole team from the ground up and just, I'll skip ahead here to another talk track of, Tracy has been with Analytics 8 for 12 going on 13, I believe, years now, which is just unheard of in marketing and super impressive. So I'm curious if you built the team when you first started there, how has the team structure evolved over 12 years? Yeah, so I was a one-person marketing show for for some time, right? And so the cool part about that was is that I really got to get my hands in all of the different marketing functions. Like at one point, I did all of it. Like I, you know, I wrote code for the website. I was doing events. Like I did the branding. I was writing case studies. So like I really got this yeah. really broad view. But I kept saying like, if we want to like take this to the next level, like we need more people. We cannot like we can't continue like this. And so that's what I liked about it. And that's, I think, what kept me wanting to stay there is because I could see, I could just see the potential. The company was growing, like marketing was successful, sales were improving, revenue was growing. And so um, I think my first hire was just another kind of like marketing generalist. And so yeah. started off with, then the two of us, we worked together for a while. Now we're up to 
seven of us. And one topic I'm particularly interested in actually is like, is marketing team structures and how does it work? And like, we right now have kind of specialists in different areas. And so kind of have built the team based on where I see what are the things that we need experts in? And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of evolved from there. Love that. And where, if you don't mind sharing your org structure and what these specialists are, that would be great to hear just how, because you're, you're right. I think this is such a fascinating topic, the org structure. It's so different at every company. It's just fascinating. Even small companies to big companies, what they classify and what they deem important. It's so different all the time. Yeah, for sure. So there's actually, and there's some hires I'd like to make in the future, but for now, what we have, so obviously we have myself in charge of kind of like strategy, sales alignment, all of the positioning, differentiators, messaging, all of that stuff. Then we have a marketing director who really is responsible for taking our strategy and making sure that we're executing it. So how are we taking our message and distributing it amongst the different channels? And she is like really my right-hand person. Like she and I have been working together for a long time and it's just like a great relationship. Yeah, We have someone in charge of content. So content is really big for us. So blogs, case studies, videos, all of that stuff. I mean, content really is everything, honestly. Like yeah. everything is, <laughs> is content. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's a, it's a big job. Yeah. We have someone in charge of social media. So that's another big area for us is social media. And then we have another person in charge of, I call it brand awareness, but really it's advertising, PR, really brand demand. It's hard, it, another one of those, like there's a lot of things that, that roll up to that. And then we have someone in the operations, more administrative role, who is just overseeing the campaigns, doing event logistics, all of that sort of mm, thing. Nice. I would really like to have a customer marketing person that would be the next like really focusing on abm customer stories like that real like cohesive person between marketing and sales so that's how we're set up now i think it's something honestly we look at like every six months like does this structure make sense like but we have different specialists and so far that seems to work pretty well yeah it's so interesting like when i never know how often to relook at at the org structure and if it works so when you do that every six months or so What do you ask yourself? How do you identify if it's working or not? I think it's one of those things is like as, so our company has been growing quickly. It's kind of like as the company strategy changes and as the company grows, I tell my team this because as the company grows and changes, our team might have to grow and change too to kind of fit whatever and meet the company goals, right? So Mm -hmm. what are the company goals? What are the marketing goals? And what team do we need to support those goals? So it's not like we're change our mind all the time. It's just that like we have to readjust and reevaluate our structure to make sure we're uh, supporting everything. And so I think it's just one of those, like we don't always make changes to it. We're always thinking like, what's next? Like who is our next hire? What other skills do we need? What's working? What's not? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And you probably also think about if, okay, this is changing. Now we have this goal. In order to do that, we need to do X, Y, Z does that fit into an existing role that we already have or does it deserve its own defined person and role? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, I mentioned the customer marketing. So like for when it comes to ABM, we do some of that, but it's very kind of, um, it's not a huge ABM program, right? It's more kind of one-off situations. I really see that as where we need to go. And so I would need Mm -hmm. to hire someone that was really in charge of that to really take that to the next level. 
Yeah. And focus in on those advocates and raving fans and connecting that with content and other exactly. teams. Exactly. So much to do there. I feel like if only you had unlimited budget, right? And you could hire all of these people. <laughs> I know. Exactly. <laughs> I'm curious, something else that I know you're passionate about is marketing strategy. I'm going to selfishly ask you a question because I'm going to be starting a new role soon. And I'm curious if you have any advice for anyone listening who might be in a similar space of how do you get started on a marketing strategy? Let's say first 30 days, like what do you look at and how do you identify what your core strategy needs to be? Sure. I think, um, so it's been a long time since I've been the first 30 days of the company, but I would say would really want to start by really like getting a lay of the land, like understanding their current state. So what are they currently doing? Like, do they have an existing strategy and plan? What is, what's working? What's not kind of um, really digging into the data, the current programs, what's their average sales cycle? What does the pipeline look like? What content is converting? You know, where are the deals being sourced from? So I would kind of really look at that first. Mm-hmm. I Then I think I'd want to meet with people across the company and really kind of figure out, okay, what do they think of the current marketing programs? A key person would be if there's a CRO or head of sales. So how is marketing sales currently working together? Why are you winning deals? Why are you losing deals? So really like understanding the data behind what is working when it comes to marketing. But then I think the like really important part would be to take time to really understand who the customer is. So mm-hmm. who is the ideal customer profile? What are their pain points? What does the company offer to address those pain points? What is the core messaging? Is it resonating? Like if possible, arrange calls actually talk to the customers directly. So talk to those customers. If not, if you can't get access to that, listen to recorded sales calls. But I think the most important thing is really diving into who the customer is, I think is the yeah. most crucial thing. So that's how I, I would agree. start at least. Yeah. How do you, I know customer research is, is of utmost importance for you too. Do you have regular calls with customers or how do you attain that, that research? So we do two things. One, we do like a formal, kind of like a, on a yearly basis, a win-loss analysis. We actually use a third. Mm. We use third parties to do that. So that's one way to get this like unbiased customer research from someone that's not working within the company. Love that. That is actually really eye-opening. So they'll tell you things that they're not going to maybe tell me or tell a salesperson, right? So that, that's been really helpful. But then I try to do at least like on a yearly basis, I will ask kind of like, okay, here's our list of our quote, best customers, right? Like our top, when I say best, I would say like top 80% of our revenue or, you know, like where are those, who are those customers? Because what we want to get more like them. And then I will interview them personally. That is like the biggest like treasure trove of, in, yeah. of insights, like just the words they're using their main problems. Like that is what I really feel like when I do that, we unlock, okay, like this is like a campaign we need to do, or this is like, we need to tweak our messaging a little bit. So like, that's like actually my favorite thing to do is talk to customers like that. It's just so eye-opening. Yeah. Do you have any kind of core questions that you ask the customers that have brought the best insight? So I do, I'd have to pull it up. I have like a template that I use to ask questions, but I think um, it's a fine line between, you don't want to go like, too detailed, you would ask them, you know, enough to kind of uncover, uncover the basics, but I'm going to find this template I, I use, but yeah, yeah, here it is. Okay. So I'm not going to read through all of them, but trying to break it down into when I do this, I have like a list of a ton of questions and then depending on how they answer it, obviously, right? Like 
dig into certain areas, kind of like you're doing with this podcast, but really like what was the business trigger? What were their challenges? But then I think the other, so like just understanding, even though I know for the most part, we're like, I'm doing the research on from our case studies, what their problem was, but sometimes they say something slightly different than what I thought. The other interesting thing to ask is like trying to get into their, how those challenges affected them on a personal level, because Mm. then you can kind of really get at like their values, like what are the core values of your ICP? Like how did that impact their career? Like trying to kind of understand more, more of those types of uh, challenges. So like I'll ask like, how did this challenge reflect on you personally? Was there anything you found especially frustrating? I think those are interesting. Huge. Another one is like, then asking about results. So like, okay, what results do you get from working with Analyxate? But then what's a success look like for you in your career? Because then that's like, understanding again, like, okay, for our ideal customer profile, this is really what success means. How do we develop content and stuff that resonates with that? Yeah. And then a bunch of questions around where they're finding information. Because I think that's like the whole thing with marketing, if you really want to boil it down, is who is your ideal customer profile and where are they hanging out online, right? And so asking those questions like, what are your favorite blogs? Where are you finding information? What influencers do you follow? So all of those questions, I think. But yes, there's a ton. But I really think like kind of getting to know how everything impacts them personally, I think is is an interesting way. And they I found people like to talk about that too. Like they they yeah. find it interesting to talk about uh, themselves and their goals and all that stuff. Yeah, it gives them a moment to reflect and really think beyond like this use case. Yeah, what does this exactly. mean for me? I love that because then you're going. I think when you interview it's like a, a client, you might tend to stay very surface level, right? And like, oh, okay, why did you come looking for this product or this service? Okay, what others did you evaluate? The basic questions. But I love that you bring it back to what does this mean for you? Like, how would this help you in your career? What would be a dream outcome of leveraging right. this for you personally? Yeah, and the feelings, because that gives you so much fodder to use for marketing messaging, right? And ads and content and what you should focus on to know your ICP on a deeper level. Yeah, exactly. I try to get away from like the, like, how did the project go? Because I don't, we're a services company, right? But I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of that because we handle that in other like client success surveys and stuff. I don't want to get in like uncovering issues on the project or things that went well. Like I want to know more about their problems and pain points. Yeah. Have you ever discovered, like you said, you ask where you hang out, right? What platforms do you use and what influencers do you follow? Have you been able to identify key influencers that you could connect with and leverage? So actually, no. So the interesting thing that we've actually found, so we're a data and analytics consulting company and, and a lot of the our ICP is data leaders. So CIOs, CDOs, VP of analytics, that, those types of titles. And so, mm-hmm. no, the funny thing is what we've really uncovered is that they all went to different places. So there was, it does not seem to be like that hub, first of all, of like a spot that they go to learn about data analytics. Yeah. And then, but all of them said they love LinkedIn, but not necessarily had any of those people that they really followed. So I thought that was, was interesting. I think yeah. some of it is like the demographics of our, of our ICP too. So people mention like, so we're big into video, right? Like video is all the rage and like everyone needs to create video, especially for like LinkedIn algorithms and our after yeah. these customer interviews, I heard like, yeah, I don't like watching videos. I'm like, I actually don't <laughs> personally either. So it must be like an age thing, but yeah, it's just not everything you, you learn though. You can like, oh, we're going to stop doing videos now, right? Like that is not part of our strategy, but it is insightful into the kinds of things that they're looking for. But to answer your original question, 
there was not an influencer that stood out. So yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because I too, am not a big video fan. I much prefer if I'm learning something either in person, that's my best bet. But then secondary is listening while I'm doing something else. Like I listen to podcasts while Mm -hmm. I'm at the gym and in the shower. Right. I don't like, I feel like if I'm watching a video, I have to be fully focused. And that just feels unnatural at this point (laughs) where you are used to doing a million things at once. Totally. Yeah. I think that's the exact thing for me, for sure. It's funny. We also, we did a survey at my current company and we were trying to find out what podcasts they listen to. And very similar to the influencers being very spread out and all different influencers, the podcasts were all random, but one similar thread was they all listened to true crime podcasts. It's like, all right, I guess, I guess we could advertise on true crime and see. Right. I asked that question to about podcasts and got very varying answers, but I did not find the true crime thread. That's very funny. Ah, (laughs) So funny. I guess it's a a marketer or e-com. That's my current ICP um, thing. So funny. And for the customer interviews that you conduct, how often do you conduct them? Is it, and do you revisit with the same people or is it always different people in the batches? Yeah. So been doing it annually. I'd like to do it more often. I think eventually could get to a cadence that's maybe like quarterly, but it just seems right now, like it's one of those, like there's so much going on at the company, like to get those, it's mostly like getting them arranged really, like trying to identify the customers and set those up, but annual basis and it varies. So I do try to target like our top customers. So those generating the most revenue, so that will change year to year, but sometimes it's, it's repeats, right? Because it's, those are consistently our top customers, but then there's always a couple new ones. Yeah. Cool. And do you switch up the questions when it's the same person that you're meeting with? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll have to like kind of go back and look at what was asked the first time. Right. And kind of like make sure it varied a little bit. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. This was super helpful in those questions. I love getting it personal. So that's super insightful. I'm curious when we go back to marketing strategy on the flip side of how to get out starting on that strategy, which led us down the path of focusing on your customers, right? If something is not working, A, how do you identify that? And B, how do you pivot? Sure. So I think um, if something's not working, like you have to start by looking at the data. So like what specifically is not working, like really dig into those programs. So we have some metrics that we track monthly and then we do a more in-depth analysis quarterly. But I really feel like I keep saying to my team, like as we're tracking these metrics, like, and we're looking at our data so often, we really shouldn't be surprised if something is not working. So like, for example, we know how many MQLs we get a month. We know what tracks month over month, year over year, like summertime seasonality MQLs are down a little bit, right? So if we see something trending down that's not matching those trends, then we need to really understand why. So for an example, we had this happen like a year ago. We saw like our MQLs were down a lot. And so we were like, what is going on? And we actually found out through some digging that Google had turned off one of our ads. And so that had really decreased our MQL. So I think it's just like really trying to pinpoint. It's not always that easy, right? Like that was a very specific example, but like what really is going wrong? And I think marketing is like a bit of art and science. Like sometimes you have to take a risk. Do you have to try new things? And sometimes it's not going to work, right? Like, so you have, there's like calculated risks that you have to take, but like you have to know when to pull a plug when something and change course, right? So like, I feel like sometimes, and in the past, it's like you have a strategy, you have a plan, but like, if it's not working, you have to be agile enough to know like, okay, that is not working. 
or I need to respond to a change that's going on. So like part of our strategy, every quarter we focus on a topic. So from a content side, we pick one topic and to like really simplify it, we have a topic and then we develop a bunch of content around that topic in different forms, like the simplest mm-hmm. example. But like we cannot plan those topics more than two quarters in advance because things change. Like just recently, we we're like, oh man, like this is something people are talking about. They're talking about spend optimization when it comes to analytics. So like we have to address that. So we had to kind of like pivot from a topic we thought and change it because we knew that's what's going on going on in the marketplace. So I think it's just like really understanding like and being on top of that data. So you're not letting it go too far before realizing like, oh, that didn't work. Yeah. So yeah. that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Yeah. How do you because you just brought up something else that's super interesting. How do you identify those topics that are so hot at the moment and new trends that come up in your industry? So it's a combination of things. So one is through like listening to sales calls and talking to the sales team. So like those people who are directly talking to customers every day, what are they asking about? What are the common pain points? Like like new things, like what are new things coming out? And then talking to, we also have like, I would call them our subject matter experts. So really talking to them to identify those same things from like a really high level, we have different practices. And so each quarter we try to like, Okay, Q4, we're focused on data strategy. That's one of our practices. So mm-hmm. what that topic is within data strategy, I would go to our data strategy subject matter expert and be like, all right, here's the content we have. What new things are you seeing? What's really resonating? And then we'll kind of also look at our our data, like what's performing, what's not. So it's a combination of things to get at that topic um, and does yeah. require input from others. Like the one thing we don't want to be doing is marketing sitting like in a tower developing content that no one reads, right? So we always have to talk to those people, talking to the customers and those who are really the experts to get at those topics that that are going to land. Yeah. So interesting. So it's, I mean, it feels like so much time has to be dedicated to research, right? It's customer research and internal SME research and just constantly picking the brains. This came up in a conversation earlier with me today that aligning with CS is of utmost importance. Do you find the same thing like your your customer heads? I don't know what you call it at your company, but if it's customer success or something similar, that the importance of aligning with them? Yeah, I think just like overall sales marketing alignment is just like, is so important. So I think, and this is something honestly, like has been challenging until recently. So we recently hired a CRO, which is like a new role for us, head of sales CRO. And that has been so helpful because I feel like before that we're very, it was all this like marketing generated this and sales generated this and like marketing get credit for that. And you know, like that whole like, and so I'm like, kept saying like, this is not like, we should be working together. Like our job yeah. is marketing sales, customer success, work together to drive the most revenue. So like from the yes. time a lead comes in the door, So when it becomes a customer and afterwards, like how can we all work together? And so, yes, like that relationship is super important. And the CRO for us has been crucial because it's that partnership, right? Like I have one person now instead before it was like, I had like six different people I had to go talk to. Now it's like one person, him and I work together on all that stuff. Yeah. So that's super, super important. Nice. And now you feel more aligned across the three teams. Exactly. Very cool. We also touched on this a little bit before we turned on the mics, but B2B buyers have changed. I mean, this year drastically, but over the past five, 10 years, the buyer journey and how they buy just has has changed dramatically. I'm curious, 
just how you've adjusted your strategy and what marketers need to look at now, knowing that it's just such a different buying cycle. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things there. And um, there's so many different aspects of this. But I think the biggest like things, two things are really like the buying cycles are taking a lot longer. Yeah. And just because people find you doesn't mean they're ready to buy right away. Actually, three things. And then the other thing is that people are finding out about you in very non-traditional ways, the whole like dark social thing that it's hard to track. And so I think the whole like buying cycles are taking longer and people are not ready to buy right away. That has to be like at the core of your strategy. So like, for example, we have a bunch of content that ranks very high on Google, right? So we're bringing a lot of people to the site. At one point we noticed, okay, well, like we have so much traffic, but they're not converting. So obviously like they're not ready yet, like they're, they're interested. And so we have really focused on developing these content paths. So what happens next? What are the, you have your core piece of content, what are the next three things that are gonna lead them to provide them more information? And things like nurture streams, newsletters, how do you stay top of mind, right? That's, that's like marketing 101, but I really think that's even more important now because people are doing so much research before they even yeah. find you. I think the whole like attribution, dark social thing, it's hard, like it is hard to track where people are coming from, but I really like, we have seen such success on social media, particularly LinkedIn. So like using LinkedIn to really get our name out there more and reach more people has been huge. So even though sometimes it's hard to track that they came from social media, like on our website, we asked like, where did you hear about us? Like, so get people putting social media in there all the time. And so like, what I was saying before about like customer interviews, really trying to find out where your customer, your ideal customer is hanging out online and then making sure your message is on those places. Like that's the way I think to really get in front of them. So it's like, it's this full funnel approach, like what's happening before, during and after someone is a customer and where are those channels? So, yeah. Are you seeing with that, I mean, now fancy term, self-reported attribution, like the fields, just asking them where they found you. Have you found that matching up with what your analytics is showing you or what your data is showing you, or it usually is way off? No. So I wouldn't say it's way off, but it definitely is off sometimes. So how we tag lead sources and then what someone is actually entering are sometimes different. And so all of those things, like... you have to kind of take with the grain of salt, like it's providing yeah. you one data point, right? But it's not like, I've always kind of said with like marketing analytics, it's not truly black or white. Like you're getting some information, but like, is that, would I change my entire strategy because the fact that like someone said their initial lead source was advertising? No, because like they might not even, there's so many other factors, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's it's just one data point that you have to take into consideration. but asking that question in that form, I thought people wouldn't fill it out. It's not required. Like we just put it, it's a free form. People actually yeah. surprisingly do fill it out and give you like yeah. someone even wrote, you know, we've had people write like, oh, I searched in Google for this and gave us like the search term, like very specific things. So that's very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't always match what what's in our analytics. We have to go back and kind of massage that data sometimes and we'll fix it. Like, oh, that it's tagged as advertising, but really it's social media. So there's yeah. a lot of that going on. It's so interesting because I feel like back like 10, 15 years ago when we had that forum on the website that was, how did you hear about us? People would mostly skip it or put NA and like they didn't want to fill it out. It probably felt invasive back then. But now since everything else is just way more invasive, now people seem way more open to giving you that information and they get it. Like why 
they want right. you to help to succeed, especially if it's marketers too. They'll be like, exactly all the details. <laughs> right. Totally. So funny. I'm curious, you touched on this a little bit and what's working right now for basically demand gen and ultimately driving pipeline. You mentioned LinkedIn as a key channel. Is there anything else or what are a couple other things that you see working right now in the dismal 2023? <laughs> yeah, so, so mentioned social media. So that is huge. So we have like a whole ambassador program on social media. So we have several people, individuals, posting on behalf of an analytics cool. So we have a company account. We have that. That's been huge, like have reached. So such a broad audience. I don't think that's anything novel at this point, but we started this at, during COVID when it was a little more like a green space. I think the two other things, which are not new, but our newsletter. So that's something we've built this audience of people who actually want to hear from us. <laughs> so mm. uh, we have made sure like that newsletter is it's once a month, we could probably do it more often, we're playing around with that. But it is a great way to see like what topics are interesting too, because we can click through rates and engagement rates, but it really just helps stay top of mind. And so we've got like, you might think as like a B a B to B newsletter as boring, but we've really tried to make it like conversational and interesting and not just like a factual, but like it reads, I think at least like interesting content. We've gotten feedback that people really enjoy that newsletter. So very educational, like meaning to be hopeful for people in their jobs. Yeah. And like, just for us, like the biggest thing that has worked is really like as simple as like, what do we want to be known for? Like, what is that thing? Right. And so for us, that really, this, we decided this several years ago, but it's uh, data strategy. That's like one of our core pillars. It's like one of our, you know, core capabilities. And so we really went, went hard on data strategy, content, ads, events, like just getting out there. And we have really like kind of like cornered that category for, within the data analytics market. And so that has been huge for us. So it's like, what are those things that you really do want to be known for instead of being everything to everyone? Like we do so many things and it's kind of complex when it comes to data analytics, like and full stack, but like, what do we really want to be known for yeah. is a couple key things. Yeah. Focusing in on that. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, you mentioned the ambassador program. So really activating several different people at Analytics 8 to speak on behalf of the company and get out there and build their personal brand. How do you start that? And are there any guardrails you put in place and guidelines? Do you have any kind of structure as a baseline? Sure. So we started this during COVID and we actually at first outsourced it. So we had an agency that helped us get this off the ground. And so we worked with them for probably a year and actually really learned from them how to do this. So yeah. we have someone in charge of social media and her job is ultimate goal is to take someone and work with them for a while, but then like set them free, like let them be able to kind of do it on their own. But what we do is have, uh, we call them like knowledge extraction sessions. So we'll, we, I don't anymore, but we'll, our person in charge of social media kind of comes with some prompts and meets with the ambassadors on, I think it's every other week, and then tries to like come up with like five different posts or something like that. Give them guidelines around like expectations. Like in addition to posting, you can't just post. You have to find like a list of 10 people that you're going to interact with and engage with on a frequent basis. You need to respond to comments, like all of the things. Like it's actually 
it's not just like throwing a post out there, right? It's all the engagement. And so we have like a social media guide that we've put together. Like if you want to become a ambassador, this is what's expected of you. This is what you need to do. And so we'll work with them and kind of help them write posts for a while. But eventually we want the best posts are going to be if someone has a unique point of view, something really like specific to talk about, like they are an expert in some area and they're going to give all the tips on that thing. And they're willing to like come with ideas, right? Because we can give them props, but really like it needs to come from them. So I think that's kind of what makes that successful is like having those people that are willing to do that. And it's not everyone and that's okay. Like not everyone is going to want to do that. And you have to kind of pick those people who you think are going to be successful with that. Yes. Amazing. And you mentioned that the your brand on LinkedIn, your company account has also been really successful in gaining reach. That's pretty difficult to accomplish because everyone is going with the personal approach, right? And activating more brands or personal brands because it engages better, I guess, in the algorithm. But I'm curious how you've achieved success there from a, a brand standpoint. Yeah. So I forget how many followers we started with, but we have been gaining followers steadily. I do think some of it is just the, like we have the ambassador, so they see them, then they follow us. But we, um, so that that works hand in hand, right? That, that coordination, but we post at least twice a week from the company account. And really like we, there's a mixture, we have a mixture of the content pillars. Like I'm pushing to be more towards like data and analytics stuff, but we do like culture posts, right? And a mixture of types of content, but I think it's like just being consistent and we also do, we started to do monthly LinkedIn lives. So to have some like oh, sort cool. of like, I call it a marketing moment. So to have something like that someone's looking forward to that you know to expect is going to happen on a on a consistent basis. But I think it's just a combination of consistent posting, valuable stuff. It's like, again, like the marketing basics, like, and then having the ambassador program supplement that. I do think yeah. we have a couple people on the marketing team who are like just, LinkedIn is a very the way that you write is very specific. And like, they have gotten that down. Like, I actually think it's harder than writing like long form content. Like you have to be able to summarize something in a really snappy, interesting way to get your point across. And that's hard to do. So I think, yeah, I like to look at lots of different posts out there that different companies do. And some of them I just think are not that interesting. You're not going to be engaging. Do you feel like our actual written content is good? So I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Those hooks. I mean, totally. Yeah. You have to be a solid copywriter beyond content creator, right? It's exactly. And that is like kind of like two different skills, really. Like it's yes. a it's a learn and we learned that originally from this agency we worked with, really learned how to write for LinkedIn and for social media and gotten better and better at it. Yeah. Very cool. I wanna get back to what we touched on earlier, which is that you've been with Analytics 8 for 12 plus years which is a testament to the company. They're, they're doing a lot sure. right to keep you for so long and also to you. So I'm curious just if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and why you've stayed there and what other people can look for to really find their home really, right? And how you've seen things change. Like you have such a cool vantage point that's so rare to be able to see a company develop over 12 years and have a, a say in it and the team and just how your team structure changes. So if you could give us a peek into all of that, it would be wonderful. Sure. Yeah, it definitely is unusual to be at a company for that long. And I think actually a lot of our other executives have been, have similar tenure. So our executive team has been nice. been there for a long time, which definitely says something about the company. But I think 
working at two other larger companies before coming here, I saw how that goes down and how that operates. And I just, it's again, like great experience, but like working at a smaller company, I just can, there's so many things, but having the freedom to build what I want is amazing, right? Like building the team, building the strategy, like all of the things, right? Like I have been able to do that and that's amazing. Yeah. I think that it's much easier to see the impact of your work too. Like at a smaller company, I directly see like something that we're doing. I can see the impact of that, whether that be on revenue, customer retention, whatever it is, like we actually see it. I feel like sometimes at other companies, like you do something and like, you don't really know, like you just kind of move on. You don't exactly know like how the impact or the value of it. Yeah. I think it's just, I have learned so much too about the, the business itself, the industry and all of that. And that it's um, having that knowledge and background has helped me become a better marketer. And so I think that's been really helpful. The company too has just changed and has grown a lot since I've been here. And so while obviously my main job is marketing, I've been able to get insight into like overall company strategy too. So I work a lot with our CEO on that. And so that is a unique uh, place to be to to be exposed to like the inner workings of the company strategy. So it's it's like a lot more than just marketing. I think like for anyone looking for a home and a place that they think they're going to grow, like first it's like, who are the people you're working with? Like, yeah, I love the people I work with. Like it's, we've been working together for a while, but like there's that trust and we all work well together. So that's like number one thing. And just having that full freedom to build the team that you want to create initiatives you want. I think that's a unique place to be. We have a budget and I can pretty much do what I want with that budget. Then as long as we're within the budget, like the strategy, the programs, like people won't say, no, that's a bad idea. Like we can do that. And so that's like very liberating to have that freedom to kind of like execute that strategy. Yeah. Freedom and support. Have as anything like being there for a long time, have you been able to see the evolution? Like, I, I'm just curious if anything has changed like org structure wise or like something that you've learned and been able to apply to your team structure. I mean, so many things have changed, but, you know, <laughs> again, like a small company that's growing, like the structure is going to change a lot. So yeah. again, like as that changes, it's always like, okay, well then how does marketing support that? I think, um, mm-hmm. One big thing is like, while of course, of course, like one of marketing's big jobs and big roles is to identify new customers and to bring in new logos, right? Like that's part of our job. However, like I've seen like just the importance of expanding existing accounts. And so that's something like as our company has grown, like instead of like just constantly being obsessed with like the new logo, like it's funny because like, that's exciting. Like, yes, we landed this great customer. Like, that's so exciting. Look at this name. Like we brought them in. That's awesome. But like really where you're going to drive the most revenue is with your existing accounts. Right. So like how's marketing and sales work together to do that is like, just, I think one of the biggest evolutions in the company. So just being able to be involved in that, I think is really cool. That is really cool. Especially I think this past year, people in, in marketing were focusing a lot more on retention and expansion because of the times, but it's exactly. it's a good reminder to focus on that and your existing relationships. Exactly. Well, what is 
one thing, because it's so interesting that you started out with Accenture and consulting, which I agree, that sounds like such a great place to start your career, to be able to mm-hmm. see kind of a glimpse into the world and all the different avenues you could go down. What would you tell your younger self starting at Accenture if you could talk to her today from everything you've learned? I think one interesting thing is like, and I tell my team this sometimes, like, it's okay to say no to something. So like with marketing and really even my role at Accenture, I would consider it like the content side of it marketing wise. People are just naturally interested in it and have a lot of ideas. And so this can be great. Like obviously there's yeah people bringing new ideas to the table, but even if someone who is quote above you in the chain has an idea, it doesn't mean you need to do it. And so I think that is a really hard thing is balancing all these initiatives and ideas. And we call them now random acts of marketing. Like we don't want to do random acts of marketing. We have a strategy, we have a plan. And so these ideas, they kind of need to fit into that plan. However, sometimes there might be something they're like, yep, that is actually like, that's going to resonate. But it's like knowing when to know and that it's okay to not just jump on especially with events, like jump on this event someone wants to do. Like there's just constant requests of things that people want to do. You have to be able to just say like, no, actually that doesn't fit into our strategy. But I feel like in the beginning of my career, it was easier to get caught up in like, well, the VP of whatever wants to do this thing. That means I should do it. No, like that's, I think the biggest thing you gain with experience is being able to say like, no, that is not like, that's not what we want to do. Agreed. It is so funny how everybody is at, what do they say, armchair marketer and always giving ideas. And you, I remember when I first started out, it used to annoy me. And now I'm just so used to it that, hey, bring all the ideas. But like you said, you have to be able to say no. Yeah. It's, I wonder if there's like you create a test budget, right? And then you allocate this amount of time and this amount of budget can go towards testing each quarter. And if that's full, then no, sorry, it doesn't fit on maybe next quarter or if it's an event next year, we can revisit. (laughs) Yeah, that's a a great idea. I think one thing I've found that, so not to say I want to stop the ideas, because again, like I do like that, like it's good. Like people might think of things that we're not thinking of. However, to like get people to understand that we might not be able to, to implement that is just being more visible internally. So sending out marketing updates, like, here's what we're doing. Here's what we did this last month. Here's what's upcoming. So they kind of know, like, I feel like those ideas come up more often when people don't understand what your strategy is. So if they know that the marketing team has a strategy and a plan and we're following it, I feel like they're less likely to bring up all the random stuff. So I think that kind of helps that they feel like confident that we got it right. And again, not to like squash ideas because that's not the intention, but it's realistically, it's just comes down to time and budget and we can't do everything. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That's a good reminder too. Cause I know I personally, that's a weakness of mine is internal communication of everything that marketing is working on um, and making sure you share that. So that's a good reminder. And I didn't, didn't even think of that as a context, I guess, indicator or just something that could help explain what we're doing. So A, it could generate some more strategic ideas that are brought to the table and B, perhaps put others to rest that you might already be doing too. Exactly. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for sharing a ton of insight with us today. It was really great to get a glimpse inside Analytics 8 and hear just about your customer interviews and just what you've seen change over the past 10, 12 years. So thank you for chatting with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. 
And thank you everyone for listening. If you liked the episode, which I'm sure you did, then just like, share with a friend, comment. And Tracy, where is the best place for anybody to connect with you? On LinkedIn. So Tracy Doyle on LinkedIn is the best place. Perfect. Well, thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you.